people with humility don't think less of themselves. They just think about themselves less. And so how do we come at our leadership with a humble way, which means we're going to get out of our own way, because when we get to the servant part of servant leadership, it's all about your people. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to another episode of the Love in Action podcast, the show where we explore the intersection of leadership, culture, and practical love. Love that will help employees to flourish and businesses to thrive. Please share the episode with a friend and help us to spread the Love in Action movement globally. So let's play a little guessing game. If I told you that my guest today has authored or co-authored over 65 books, whose combined sales total more than 23 million copies. I mean, who comes to mind? Well, you know, that's a pretty short list, actually. So let me give you another hint, and this will be a dead giveaway. If you've read all of the classic leadership or management books, you know, over the last three decades, I'm not saying that you've read all of them, but this one should pop up on the top of the list. Here it is, The One Minute Manager. That's right. What an enormous treat we have today. Dr. Ken Blanchard has returned to grace us with his wisdom and leadership knowledge. Ken Blanchard, I'll have you know, was actually guest number three on the show about three years ago. We had a blast then, and I know we're going to have a blast now. Ken has just co-authored his latest book called Simple Truths of Leadership. 52 Ways to Become a Servant Leader and Build Trust. The co-author being Randy Conley, who is a a big-time thought leader himself in the field of trust. So in this book, Simple Truths of Leadership, Ken and Randy will help you make common sense leadership common practice. The one and only Dr. Ken Blanchard now joins us. Always an honor. Welcome to the show. Well, it's great to be with you. That's for sure. And it's uh, got three years have gone by since we were together. That's I know crazy, isn't it? What took you so long to come back? Ken? I don't know. <laughs> Probably the invitation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm honored that you're back. So before we dive into your life's work and your latest book, I can't imagine that there's anybody on this planet that doesn't know who you are, but we may have a few guests that may fall under that category. So We like to kick off the episode these days with personal stories. I mean, you have a plethora of of personal stories. So bring us back to sort of the origins of how you began this whole movement around servant leadership. I mean, what's a Ken Blanchard story to kick us off? Well, it's interesting. You know, when uh, I was in graduate school getting my doctor's degree and I wanted to be at a university and my faculty all said, if you want to be at a university, You should be an administrator because you couldn't write. So I found out later that you could understand it. And that was confusing to them. I remember I was asked to write a paper for this one professor and he wanted an analogy in it. And I said, the analogy was that that went over like a pregnant high jumper. And he said, let's not be facetious, he wrote in my paper. I, of course, had to look up what 
facetious meant. <laughs> and uh, but my my first job is I went to be assistant to the dean of the business school at Ohio University, working with Harry Everett's. And when I got there, Harry said, "Ken, I'd like you to teach a course." I like all my administrators to teach a course, and I had never thought about teaching because if you don't publish, you perish as a teacher. And so he said, "I don't care anything about that. I want you to to teach." And so Paul Hersey had just arrived as the chairman of the management department. He put me in his department, said, "Here, teach a beginning management course," which wasn't a problem for me because I had done my doctoral dissertation on Fred Fiedler, who was the first situational leadership theorist. And after a couple of days, I came and said to my wife. Margie, this teaching is fun. This is what I should be doing. And she said, "What about the writing?" I said, "I know I'll figure something out." And so, I had heard that Hersey taught a great course. And in uh, December 1966, I said, "Paul, do you mind if I sit in on your leadership course next semester?" He said, "Nobody audits my course. You want to take it for credit? You're welcome." And he walked away. I thought that was something because I had a PhD and he didn't. He wants me to take his course. So I went and told my wife Margie, and she said. Well, is he any good? I said he's supposed to be great. She said, "Well, get your ego out of the way and take his damn course." So I had to talk to registrar and to letting me take the course. So I did and wrote the papers and all. In June '67, Hersey comes into my office and he said, "Ken, I've been teaching leadership for ten years. I think I'm better than anybody, and they want me to write a textbook. But writing is not really my thing. But I've been looking for a good writer like you to maybe be my co-author. Would you co-author this book with me?" I said, "We ought to be a great team." I can't write. You're not saying that's not your favorite thing. So let's do it. We wrote a book called "Management of Organizational Behavior: Utilizing Human Resource Textbook." I think it's in its tenth edition now. Sells、wow. more now than it did back in the in the '60s. And so I went to the dean and I said, "I quit as an administrator. I'm going to be a faculty member. I got a textbook coming out." He said, "You can't quit." I said, "Why not?" He said, "Because I was going to fire you." <laughs> He said. Because you're a lousy administrator, which I was, so I ended up teaching and writing, and then I went to California on a sabbatical, met Spencer Johnson in a cocktail party, and he wrote children's books with his wife, the the Value Tales series, the Value of Courage, the story of Jackie Robinson, Value、wow. of Believing Yourself, great kids books, you know.、Yeah. So Margie met him first, and Hank carried him over to me, and she said, "You two ought to write a children's book for managers. They won't read anything else," and so. <laughs> He was working on a one-minute scolding with a psychiatrist, and I invited him to a seminar I was doing the next week in town. And he came and sat in the back and laughed. He came running up at the end, said, "Forget parenting, let's do the one-minute manager." And so I was teaching about praising and reprimanding and redirecting and all. So we ended up writing this parable because he was a story children's book writer and I'm a storyteller. And lo and behold, you know, we're on the Today Show and. Yeah, Labor Day, nineteen eighty-two. One week later, the book goes on the New York Times bestseller list. Never goes off the list for like three years, and so、yeah. suddenly we're underway. <laughs> yeah, that was a launching pad. But Ken, even back then, I mean, were you labeled as a you know a servant leadership kind of expert, or were you doing that kind of work? I mean, or. Did the one man manager kind of launch you into that arena where you explored all of the concepts of servant leadership? Well, we kind of talked about the concepts, but you know, back when we wrote our book in the '60s, people weren't talking about servant leader quite as right. much, you know. But in many ways,、uh, the one man manager is servant leadership in action because, of course, when I mention servant leadership to a lot of people, they think I'm talking about the inmates running the prison or trying to please everybody or 
some religious movement. They yeah. understand that there's two parts of servant leadership. There's the vision, direction, values, and goals, which is the responsibility of the hierarchy. You know, people need to know what they're being held accountable for, what good behavior looks like. And that's the leadership part of servant leadership. Once that's clear and you don't just lay it on people, you involve them and all, then you turn it upside down and now you move to the servant part of servant leadership. And now your job is to help them win. You work for them to help them accomplish their goals and live according to the the vision. SL2 is really servant leadership in action because it begins with clear goals. And then you analyze development level to find out where they are on their competence and their commitment, and then determine whether they need a directing or coaching, supporting or delegating leadership style. And then you move to -to day-to-day coaching, where you give them the style that you agreed upon, and then you get to evaluation, and you're hoping that they win. It's funny, you just covered about three or four simple truths of the book, but let me bring you back a little bit to the fact that the book had a different title. What was it? Are you talking about this book here? Yes, the simple trick. <laughs> <laughs> I just happen to have a copy. Yeah, Ken just showed me the book on the oh, because we're on video now. So if you're listening, he just popped up the yes. book on the screen. But the beginning of my uh, mission statement is I want to be a loving teacher and example of simple truths. And I've been trying to teach that for a long time. People say, Guy, Ken, I love your stuff. And then I say, Well, how are you using it? And they go, duh, 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 you know. And people like to read new concepts but not do anything. And so, I thought I'd give one last shot of simple truths. And I've been a big fan of servant leadership. And so what I found is that if you use servant leadership with your people, you build trust. And Randy Conley, who's worked with us in our company for 25 years, become an expert on trust. And I said, Randy, let's do this book together. So what's fun about it is 52 ways to be a servant leader and create trust. And so what's neat on one side of the page is a simple truth, like servant leaders use different strokes for different folks, which ties into SL2 and our situational approach. And then it talks about so many people have one leadership style they use with people all the time, which doesn't really work. And sometimes it's always down at the bottom, say how to put, uh, make common sense, common practice. Right. 26 of these on servant leadership and 26 on trust. And Randy does the trust ones and I do the servant leadership one. And it's really fun because people can take, you know, one truth a week for 52 weeks, or they can take, you know, several a week or do whatever they want, but there's easy to talk to their people about and build a relationship. In true Ken Blanchard fashion, folks, this book is, I mean, you can probably dust this off in, you know, a couple of hours, I think, in one sitting. Because it's, it reads that basically one simple truth is one page, and it's just a page turner. You can go through it. Ken, it's interesting. You said, I thought I would give it one last shot on these simple truths. Because, I mean, all your books are simple truths to me. I've read them, and they are such common sense type books. But again, it's not common practice. And so it's funny that you said, I'll give it one last shot to put together all of these different simple truths that you've already written in a lot of your books. And you kind of condensed it into one. It was fun doing that because this really includes all the things we've been teaching for over 40 years. So I want to start our discussion by quoting you kind of in the initial pages. You say, and I quote, 
Much of my work was focused on how to improve leadership style. We attempted to change leaders from the outside, but recently we have found that effective leadership is an inside job. So what do you mean by inside job? Well, what we found is that effective leadership starts in the inside with the question, are you here to serve or be served? That's a character question, you know? And when I ask people, how many of you would like to be a servant leader versus a self-serving, of course, everybody puts their hands up. But I say, how many of you are servant leaders, you know? And then people kind of <laughs> bunch down in their chair, you know, because uh, it's really about we, not me, when you're a servant leader. You're there for your people. You're there to help them win. You know, when I was a college professor, I was always in trouble and because the first day of class, I always gave out the final examination and the rest of the faculty say, what are you doing? I say, I'm confused. And they say, say I acted. I said, I thought we were supposed to teach these kids. You are, but don't give them the final exam the first day of class. I said, not only am I going to give them the final exam the first day of class, what do you think I'm going to do all semester? I'm going to teach them the answers. So right. when they get to the final exam, they get A. Life's about getting not A, not some stupid normal distribution curve. Right. You know, I mean. How many people go out and hire losers? We lost some of our worst people last year. We need to hire some new losers to fill a low slot. That's the stupidest thing in the world. You hire potential winners or you steal people who are already winners from other companies. So you're not dealing with a normal distribution curve. So why would you want to do that? Yeah. It's funny that the way that you start the book with simple truth number one is to me a great foundation for understanding what servant leadership is. And well, you define it like this, that servant leadership is, is the best way to achieve both great results and great relationships. And to me, that speaks to a lot of the misconceptions around servant leadership is that, you know, you're going to be the rah-rah cheerleader type of boss, that you're going to have great relationships, but then the business suffers because you're not getting the results. So explain sort of that nice balance that we must have as servant leaders. Well, that gets back to the two parts of servant leadership I mentioned. The leadership part focuses on results. What do we want trying to accomplish here? And then when you turn the pyramid upside down, now you're working on relationships and helping them get the results. It's interesting. Uh, Randy Connolly in his sessions will put up three words, results and relationships. And he said, what do you think is the most important word of the three words? And, you know, about half of the people say relationships and half results. And he said, no, it's and, yeah. because it's both and, uh, both people and relationships. And I think that's really what we're, what we're finding that makes this whole thing work. Exactly. I teach this in my own courses that the servant part is the nurturing part, but you have to have the leadership part, which is the casting the vision, setting direction, holding people accountable, right? And I would even say that servant leaders are... They demand excellence. And so the bar is really high for people to perform at a high level, but they don't leave. They don't drop people out of a helicopter and say, you're on your own, kid. Right. So that's the, the serving <laughs> part. <laughs> but yeah, let's talk a little bit about something you touched on, and, and that's the, the upside down pyramid. That's simple truth number three in the book. I'm a huge proponent for it. And so to me, that's also the crux of servant leadership. Tell us about this idea of turning the traditional pyramid upside down, because some people may be just introduced to it. And it's not something that is, it comes natural to us, especially if we come from top-down command and control. Well, I think that's it, that a lot of people, they're thinking about leadership 
is we better look up the hierarchy because all the brains are up there. And a lot of self-serving leaders think they're the smartest kid in town and all that kind of thing. But the reality is, no, you're doing this thing together. It's not about you. It's about we. And when you do that, now once the goals are clear and you do, now you turn the pyramid upside down to emphasize, I work for you now. You don't work for me. My job is to help you get an A average. Yeah. Uh, that's for sure. How do we even begin to implement this total counterintuitive way of, of leading by inverting, I mean, the pyramid? Can it may not work for every organization or does it? Well, it can work for every organization. The thing that keeps it from is the human ego. Ego is, you know, everything good outside or edging God out. And uh, the, two, the thing that keeps people from being servant leaders is either false pride when they have a more than philosophy. They think they're brighter than and all, or they have a less than, they, they doubt themselves and question themselves and all. And both of them, they're focusing on themselves. And the, the cure for false pride is humility. And right. As you know, a lot of people think humility is a weakness and all. And I think it was C.S. Lewis or Rick Warren or maybe myself who said, people with humility don't think less of themselves. They just think about themselves less. And so how do we come at our leadership with a humble way, which means we're going to get out of our own way, because when we get to the servant part of servant leadership, it's all about your people. Now, the way you deal with feelings of self-doubt, inferiority and all, is to realize that God didn't make any junk. There's a pearl of goodness in everybody. My mother used to say to me, she said, now, Ken, don't you act like you're better than anybody else, but don't you let anybody else act like they're better than you. God didn't make a junk, any junk. There's a pearl of goodness in every person. Dig for it. So I've mm. been a digger for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Ken, what I love about this book, I mentioned this in the past, is that, well, you know, if you're a fan of Ken Blanchard or, or even if you're just being introduced to Ken Blanchard, you're going to get some of Ken's biggest hits or leadership lessons that are like rolling off the pages, like this one that you brought back from the One Minute Manager. The key to developing people is to catch them doing something right. That's so important. And it's interesting, you know, when I ask people, how do you know whether you're doing a good job? You know, the one number one response I get, nobody's yelled at me lately. No news is good news. We still find that seagull management is still the major leadership style around the world. A person gives you a job to do, and then they leave you alone until there's a problem. And then they fly in, make a lot of noise, dump on everybody, and then fly out. You know, <laughs> That's not a really good way to do it, is that the key is to catch people doing things right and accent the positive and wander around so they're glad to see you, not you wandering around because you're going to catch them doing something wrong and all. And if things aren't going quite as well in a goal, you don't beat them up. You help redirect them and say, this isn't going quite as well as we had hoped. What could I do for it to help? Because I'm here for you. <laughs> This one also came from the one man and manager that you included in the book. It's simple truth number seven. When people are off track, yell at them and make them cry. No, I'm kidding, Ken. I'm sorry. I'm kidding. So go ahead and explain simple truth number seven. When people are off track. What you need to do is 
help them and redirect their energies. And so we rewrote the One Minute Manager to uh, a few years ago because we used to call the third secret One Minute Reprimand. And we felt that was too top-downy. Yeah. So now we call it One Minute Redirects. You know, and the, so that's when if somebody's not performing quite as well, as I mentioned, you say, okay, here's the data because both of you should have uh, the goal and so it should be observable and measurable and say, how can I help you get back on track and redirect your, your energy? And so it's not beating them up. It's being there to help guide them and get them back on track. Even today, though, I mean, as you explain it to me, it sounds, again, like common sense. But I mean, I look at my own client reports. I don't see this as common practice. I mean, why is that? Well, again, I think it gets back to ego. You know, we just uh, think that we got to act like we know everything and, and all and don't want to be vulnerable at all. I, I wrote a book with Colleen Barrett, who took over the presidency of Southwest after Herb Kelleher stepped down. And, and she has a great saying. She said, people admire your skills, but they love your vulnerability. And I really think that's a pretty powerful thing. Well, that's the thing is that we, I shouldn't paint with a broad brush here, but I'm saying that to still today in 2022, we're not identifying leaders based on actual leadership or servant leadership competencies, right? So we bring people in with this idea that, oh, they have to have charisma or they have to be, you know, confident and show executive presence and all of those things that, that sort of the world teaches us <laughs> that leaders must have on the outside, right? But I think it's funny, we're, we're bringing it back to, like I started this conversation, it's really an inside job. So to me, those most effective leaders, again, are the ones that, that you describe in all your books. And I think it's important to remember that every one of us is a leader. You can't avoid it because leadership is an influence process. So you're a leader as a spouse, as a friend, mm. as a parent, and all that. So when we teach about servant leadership, we're teaching you about how to be a better human being yeah. uh, there. And I think that's what we're, we're talking about. It's, and great human beings don't center their lives on them. They center it on us. Yeah. How can we be in this thing together? And that's that what makes it exciting. And I get back to my, look for those pearls out there. There's a lot of them. And it's really interesting. My dad was an interesting guy, too. He retired as a rear admiral in the Navy. I'll never forget, I won the president of the seventh grade in New Rochelle, New York, you know. And I came home and I'm all pumped up, you know. And I told Dad, I'm the president of the class. And he smiled and he said, Ken, now that you're president, this begins your leadership training because never use your position. Great leaders are great because people trust and respect them, not because they have power. Uh, and he said, it's a <clears throat> myth in the military that it's my way or the highway. He said, sure, in battle, somebody's got to call the shots. But if you act like a big deal with your men, they'll shoot you before the enemy. <laughs> I love uh, Simple Truths number 9 and 10, which come from another international bestseller, Leadership and the One Minute Manager. And so Simple Truth number 9, you mentioned this at the beginning, Ken. So I want to kind of dig in a little deeper. It states, effective servant leaders realize they have to use different strokes for different folks. What's the practical 
element of this? How do we make that happen? And what do you mean by different strokes for different folks? Well, first of all, everybody's not at the same level of competency in their job and various goals that they have. Some people like to use one leadership style. Well, it might work in some situations with some people, but it's not going to work in other people. And you have to diagnose where they are, you know, so if somebody's an enthusiastic beginner, meaning they're excited about a job, they don't have skills, well, they need direction. If somebody's a disillusioned learner, they, they've they worked on this for a while and they're a little frustrated, they need both direction and support. If yeah. somebody's a capable but cautious performer, they got the skills, but they'd like you to hang around to cheer yeah. them on and all. And then finally, in some cases, people are self-directed achievers and you can delegate to them. And so it's, it's really kind of deciding where are they and how can I give them what they, they need? And this yeah. is really exciting stuff. And that's why it's different strokes for different folks. And you're probably getting to the next, which says you not only need different strokes for different folks, you need different strokes for the same folks on different parts of their job. Because some most people have four or five goals, and they might be a self-directed achiever on one or two of them, but yeah. they could be an enthusiastic beginner on one, and they need direction, or they could be a little disillusioned and they need a coach. you got to just be there with them. And so uh, one of the things about SL2, our situational approach to leadership, is you don't do it to people, you do it with them. And so you share the theory after you set goals and said, let's look at each of these and determine your development level and what style do you need from me. And if I can't give it to you, suppose somebody is an enthusiast, a beginner in an area that you don't have any skills either, you better go find somebody who can help coach them and mentor them in that area. When I think about your situational leadership practice, which is a huge Ken Blanchard Company's practice. I go back to the relationship part of servant leadership, where you have the relationship and the results. And to me, you can't know about how to apply a situational style of leadership to one employee versus another employee and the circumstances that they're under, unless you understand who they are as a human being. Now, Cheryl Batchelder once said, I must know you to grow you. And to me, that's, and you can't possibly apply the situational leadership model unless you truly get to know who you people are. I mean, that's right. And Peter Drucker was a, one of my gurus when I was getting into this business. He said, Ken, remember, nothing good happens by accident. So put some structure on it. And one of the things that we advise people is that you ought to have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with each of your direct reports for at least 15 to 30 minutes, at least once every two weeks. If you had 26 meetings a year where you schedule a meeting, but your direct report sets the agenda, God, you would know them, they would know you, and all that kind of thing. But so often, what happens to people, they set goals in the beginning of the year, then they get filed, and nobody talks about them until somebody says it's annual performance review, and everybody's running around bumping into each other, trying yeah. to find the damn goals. Okay, I'll lead into the actual characteristics of servant leadership. And this is going to be a tall measure, but any of us can learn these traits to grow into effective servant leaders. We're going to take a short break. When Ken and I come back, you'll get more wisdom from Ken to raise your own bar as a leader. 
Hey, leaders and managers, Marcel here. You probably already know this if you've been following the show. The question comes up often. What's the purpose of this show? What's the why behind love and action? Well, the simple answer, we need to eliminate suffering in the workplace and help leaders to flourish. Because when we have good leaders in place, the people under their care also flourish. That is really good for business. And by the way, as an extension of the podcast, I launched a leadership development course. It's got a catchy name. Check it out on my website. It's called From Boss to Leader. And in this course, I teach the skills that you often hear on the show. Things like how to communicate more effectively, how to engage your employees to put out their best effort, and how to build a high-performing organization. So check it out. I'm taking calls right now, and I'd love to personally chat with you to see if this course may be a good fit. Reach me on my website, marcelschwantes.com and click on virtual training. Okay, Ken, the characteristic I'm going to start with, I coach and speak and train on this myself, and you've already touched on it. You jumped the gun on this one because you brought humility you know, you talked about edging God out and the ego and the false pride and all that. And you countered that with humility. So talk to us a little bit, because this is a tricky one, because, you know, as soon as you call yourself humble or, you know, other people, exactly, exactly. Or, you know, you call yourself humble, then other people might peg you as too soft. So your thoughts? Well, humility is such a powerful uh, concept. And people got to understand it's not a weakness, it's a strength. And you don't advertise it, you just behave it. And when you behave it, you are saying that this is about we, not me. We're a team. I don't have all the brains in this, this group. And that's a powerful thing for people to hear. And rather than saying, how come this idiot's the manager, they're going to say, wow, it's going to be fun to be on his or her team because we're going to get a chance to, to contribute here and, and make a difference. And that's what people really want to do in the long run. Oh, boy. Another characteristic of a servant leader that you mentioned in the book is that they work smarter, not harder. How do we do that? Well, I think you work smarter, not harder by focusing on what are the key goals that we're trying to accomplish. Let's not try to do everything Let's sit down and focus. Okay, here's what the organizational goals are. Let's look at your job responsibilities. Let's see what goals and objectives we can focus on in your job. And then how do we help you behave better? And that's working smarter rather than harder, because I don't want you running around here all trying to figure out what you should be doing. Let's get you focusing on key stuff that can make a difference for your organization as well as the total organization. And of course, if you're going to work smarter in that sense, you have to be able to delegate and help to actually grow people into roles where they own or take ownership of their work. So they're making decisions on their own and not having to come to the boss and pull on your 
coattail. Hey, boss, what do I do now? Well, that's one of the simple truths that Randy talks about in the book. He said, what's the opposite of trust? It's not distrust, it's control. And what you're trying to do as a manager is slowly turn over control to your people. Now, people go, whoa, that's really got to be. No, you want to get the job done. And as they get better and better at being both competent and committed, then you want to get out of their way and be a head cheerleader and all that kind of. That's a whole different way of being a manager rather than saying, you know, all the brains are here. Ask my opinion on every everything. That's uh, kind of crazy. And you don't go out there and hire losers. You know, we lost some of our worst people this year. We need to hire some new leaders to fill the low slots. No, you either go out and hire winners you steal from other companies or potential winners. So you're not hiring a normal distribution curve. Your job is to bring out the best in that group. Again, I can't help but that speaks to well, I'm going to bring back humility to be able to do that because in a, a controlling type of management environment, you, you take all the decisions on your own, you hoard information, and that's all about control and power. But what you and I already know is that that doesn't work for employee engagement. You have to be able to let people use their brains and think on their own. But again, it's funny because that falls on Randy's side of the book that, that really, you need to have trust there for that to happen. It's a powerful, powerful thing. And I don't know if you've ever run into Gary Ridge, the president of G40. Yeah. And he's implemented all of this kind of stuff. He and I wrote a book together called Help People Win at Work. And the subtitle is important. It's a, a business philosophy called Don't Mark My Paper, Help Me Get an A. Yeah. You know? And it's all about how do we help people accomplish and win, you know? And a lot of that has to do with having one-on-one meetings with people and having quarterly meetings with them. And, and all people say, well, I have time for all these meetings with my people. What are you doing? So I'm in, I'm in group meetings. Well, forget those damn group meetings. Uh-huh. I had a colleague from one organization. He had all of his team meetings with people standing up. So the meetings never lasted very long so that he could get more one-on-one time with the, the people. And I think that's where the action is. Ken, full disclosure here. I wanted to save this characteristic for last because it's special to me. I touched on this before we hit record, but the whole reason that we named this podcast Love in Action is because, well, you once said servant leadership is love in action. Direct quote, and it's in your book. So I want to thank you. First of all, I'm acknowledging the title of the podcast goes back to you. And so you had a lot to do with that. But that's also simple truth number 20, right? So break that down about love and love being the answer and love in action and all that. Well, we actually quote 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love is not envy, you know, and all those. And those are all wonderful characteristics of, of love because to be a great servant leader, you have to be patient, you have to have kind, you have to you know, all of these characteristics. In fact, one of the things we suggest in there is take that Bible quote and the characteristics and list those and say to your people, on a one to five, where do you think I am on each of these characteristics? (laughs) You know, and find out where you need to work on to be better. It's not soft leadership. It's not soft at all. Because it's very powerful. But 
love really means that I care about you. I want you to win. And I also want this company or organization to win. And so as we get back to the both and, both people and results, and love is about both people and results. And as I mentioned a lot about love, obviously, is in this sense, it's a verb. It's not a you know feeling. So there's action behind it. And so I, I start to show it's to help people flourish because when there's love and it's backed by action, it's backed with compassion, empathy, respect, and all of those, all of those virtues that also all over your books, it does something to the human spirit, to the human heart, to want to give more, to want to contribute more. When people realize that you care about them and you want them to win, man, they want you to win too. That's why I say... You know, profit is the applause you get for creating a motivating environment for your people so they take good care of your customers. Profit is not the reason for being in business. It's the applause you get. Right. It's sort of the icing on the cake, really. Well, before I let you go, Ken, we got to hear a classic Ken Blanchard story on servant leadership. I mean, I know you have a library of them. The first time you came on the show, <laughs> you shared one uh, for one of your books on customer service. But what, what's a memorable one that, that sticks out to you today that you love to share? Well, I think the most memorable one is, uh, I think, is working with Gary Ridge and WD-40 because he has a quarterly meeting, each of his, his managers. He calls them a tribe, so it's a tribe leader and a tribe member. And the first item of agenda at that meeting is, are the goals that we set at the beginning of the last quarter, are they still relevant for this quarter? So they can change their goals all the way up to the beginning of the fourth quarter. As I said earlier, a lot of times people don't have goals, or if they do, they file them after they're set. They don't bring them out until they have to fill out a form. And we think it's so stupid for you to be silly filling out forms on your people after they agree on are these goals still relevant at WD-40 at this quarterly meeting. The direct report has, has a report card that they set up, which I recommend for all of you, first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, overall performance. And for the quarter that they're discussing, the direct report gives them an A, a B, or a C themselves. And so the job of the manager isn't to fill that out themselves, but to agree or disagree. They might say, gee, I don't think that's quite an A now. I think it's a good solid B. How do we help you get an A? Or it might say, wow, that is a good solid A. I'm proud of you. Or no, that's not a C. I think that's got the potential to be a really good solid B. And how do we get it there so we can move on to A? So you kind of look at, and they fill out the report card together, really there, rather than the manager sitting there like, like this, you know, it's a we, not me kind of thing. And as I said, they have a ridiculous 92% employee engagement score the last time they did it. I mean, I mean, who has that kind of score? Yeah, it's astounding. Ken, what's your ultimate hope for people who read this book? Well, my hope for people who read this book is that they will use it with their people because the simple truths are not to be done to people, it's to be done with people. And that's why you can take a simple truth each day and, and all. And to realize that servant leadership and trust go hand in, in hand. And if you are a leader who wants to serve rather than be served and build trust with your people, I want to tell you, you're going to go up the hierarchy 
like crazy and your organization is going to win. And it's the same way with your kids. Why wouldn't you want them to win? Don't keep control all the time of your kids because when they get loose from you, they're going to go crazy. But if you're slowly letting them take more responsibility when they're on their own, the most important thing to remember about being a parent is not what happens when you're there. It's what happens when you're not there. Yeah. We're going to bring it home in a second here, but I want to make sure I have talking points and I've chosen questions that I thought you know would be pertinent to the, this discussion. But is there a question that you would want to be asked that you don't get a chance to be asked? And if so, what would that be? Well, I love people to say, uh, what, what's your biggest accomplishment in, in your career? And I always say, I married Margie. <laughs> I always say that great marriages are when husbands realize they married above themselves. And so this June, we'll celebrate our 60th anniversary of marriage. How's that? That's fantastic. Pretty darn good. And when we started our company 43 years ago, Margie became president. She's much better at that. She has a PhD in communications. So we're a team. And that's yeah. really been, uh, been fun to be able to work as a team. And now our son's the president. Our daughter's the head of marketing. My wife's brother, who was born when she was a freshman at Cornell, He's our CEO, and my son's wife is heads up our coaching and all kinds of other things. So it's a family business. And exactly. Now a third generation member, you know, Julie McKee, Tom's, Margie's brothers, the daughter's working with us. So it's just fun. Even though we have 250 people working with us, it's still a family business. And we treat those people as if they're part of our family. People, you know, the third time I bring you back, I may just have to bring Margie with you and then yes. we can do a, a different spin instead of a business podcast. Maybe we can talk about a marriage, how to lead as a servant in a marriage and to give a take. <laughs> That's just my idea. That would be fun and, and she's great. So she'd love to mm. do that with me. All right, sir. We bring it home with two questions. Tradition on the show. Personally, what's really tugging at your heart? right now in this crazy time that we're living in now in history that you would like us to know? Well, what's tugging my heart is get this book in everybody's hand. And what's interesting is I wrote a, a, a book called The Mulligan on golf and faith with Wally Armstrong, who was a great PGA professional and teacher. And they just made a movie out of it. Pat Boone has the lead role, and it's going to be released during the Masters Week in Augusta. Georgia in April. It's uh, really fun. People who have seen it say, wow, what a powerful thing. What a powerful way to share the power of faith with people in a non-confrontal way. And so mm. we're, we're really excited about that. So people uh, say, Ken, when are you going to retire? And that's why I wrote a book with Mort Shavers, who passed away recently, fabulous guy, called Refire, Don't Retire, Make the Rest of Your Life the Best of Your Life. So I'm having a wonderful time refiring, and I'm going to keep on doing it. That's awesome. Well, you bring us home your way, Ken. You close us out with an inspiring thought, a remark, or a key takeaway to keep us inspired. I think the thing I'd like to leave you all with is that I think life is a very special occasion. Don't miss it. Now, when you wake up in the morning, Give thanks for the blessings that you have. Think about your day. Don't race out of the, into your task, Ryan, and said, just reflect for a while 
and say, okay, what's going to happen today? How do I want to be today and all? And then at the end of the day, start a little journal that says praisings, you know, where you pat yourself on the back for what you did today that you like, and then redirections, things you think you'd like to have redone. And it's really good to be constantly looking at your behavior and your life because life is a very special occasion. Don't miss it. Always try to get better at living it. The book, again, is called Simple Truths of Leadership, 52 Ways to Become a Servant Leader and Build Trust. And again, co-authored with Randy Connolly. Ken, if people want to grab this book or learn more about it, tell us the website. Well, it's just simpletruthsofleadership.com or go to kenblanchard.com and you'll be able to find uh, that. Or we even have now one, uh, kenblanchardbooks.com because I got these over 60 books. So you can you go down there and see which ones you want to kind of do. It's really interesting. My mother said, Ken, why don't you write a book by yourself? Because I've written over 65 books, only two by myself, one on golf. So many people were trying to help my golf game. I didn't know who to write it with. And then my spiritual journey. But I'm a learner and I love to work with other people. That's why I love, love to work with Randy on this book. That's great. He's, he's a great partner. That's great. Ken, it's been, uh, again, such an honor to have you back. I know that people are going to find real value in this conversation. So thank you again for coming on the show. My pleasure. God bless. You too. That wraps it up. And thank you, Love and Action Tribe, for joining this conversation. And, you know, to keep it going on social media, you can comment on this episode with hashtag Love in Action Podcast. And look for my show notes on my website, marcelschwantes.com. I'll be sure to include all of Ken's resources there. And finally, we're always looking for sponsors to help us grow. If your business would like to sponsor an episode, hit me up on my website, marcelschwantes.com, or find me on LinkedIn. On behalf of Ken Blanchard and my production team at One Stone Creative, I'm Marcel Schwantes. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Love in Action podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and watch your business grow.